Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 50. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. to the three technique college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason joined by Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney and fellas. We made it. It has been a long off season. Granted, we only started recording podcasts in the middle of May, um, but we are finally to preview season. We have wanted to get to this stage for so long since the spring when we started talking about this episode and finally getting here and the day has arrived today's episode all about breaking down the ACC Atlantic division uh first of all guys I mean how are we doing it's it's really kind of feels like Christmas day to me man the long hot summer is drawing to a close and we are ramping up preview season I couldn't be happier man it's means football's right around the corner I think we have just seven Saturdays left by the time you guys are listening to this uh with no college football, and that's really, really exciting. So next few weeks, we're going to hear Power 5 previews of every single Power 5 conference. We'll work in some group of five, too, but kicking things off with the ACC, and I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, it kind of feels like that moment when you get out for Christmas break when you're in school, and it's not quite Christmas, but you can kind of just relax and focus mm-hmm. on it, you know, kind of let it chill out a little bit. That's kind of what it feels like to me. I feel like we're we're almost there. We're, we're over the hill. We're, we're just right, right close to it. We're almost there. We made it. We are pumped to, to bring this to you. We have done uh, an incredible amount of research. I mean, it's just for seven teams right now. We've got well over 10 pages of notes that we're going to walk you guys through today. Um, you know, with that, of course, your support means the world. And right now, I tell you what, the three technique is on a little bit of a hot streak right now. We are... Uh, compounding growth week over week. Um, and that's just thanks to great uh, listeners like you guys, the interaction that we're getting over on our social channels as you know, we ask for input on ideas, on places to eat in El Paso has been incredible. So shout out to everyone that's followed us uh, on Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod is where you can find us. You can also write into the show if you so choose, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Uh, and let us know, you know, what you think of the the previews as we roll through them. If you've got questions for us to answer um, as we go throughout this process, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, again, just a big thank you as you guys continue to listen, continue to see these numbers grow. This is a passion project for us, and it's really, really fun to see that other people are enjoying it just as much as we are. So uh, again, you know, if, if you haven't followed us um, on our social channels, 
please head over and do so. That really helps the show. And leave a, a rating or review on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That also helps with uh, the algorithm to promote it to other college football fans as we continue to grow. But, fellas, uh, you know, we've, we've done so many news podcasts over the last couple of weeks. There's not really any big pressing news right now. No, nothing in the world of realignment right now. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Uh, before we jump into the previews, though, I kind of want to get maybe the thing that you guys are looking forward to most about this preview season. Just, you know, kind of a word or two. And Garrett, you're going to be on the clock first with uh, our preview. So Trey, I'll start with you. You know, if there's one thing that preview season kind of means to you, what is it? It's just the season where everybody still has hope, you know, even if your team had a Vegas over under come out, maybe that wasn't very great. Wasn't something that seems like it's something to look forward to. You can go read a lot of preview articles and preview magazines, and it's really easy for pretty much all of these teams to find something to look forward to. There's going to be a couple we talk about today that we might be a little more pessimistic on, but man, I just found myself getting fired up about teams. I wasn't expecting to get fired up about, and it just kind of gives you a connection to those teams learning the players, finding out the names that are going to be big stars, maybe that you hadn't heard of yet, and maybe the breakout candidates. I'm excited to see a lot of players that I've read about. Yeah, and obviously our tagline is, you know, we're at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's. So this is the time we're going to talk about some players. We're going to talk about some scheme. We're going to talk about what they're doing, stats. We're going to really break this down. That's what I'm most excited about is actually going to do what we've been wanting to do right? News is fun. Coming up with ideas for off-season shows is really fun. But once we start getting into the actual programs, getting to really break them down and and even better than, you know, when we get into the actual season and we're just talking about what happened during the game, actually getting to break down sort of speculation. What were they doing last year? What did they bring in now? What are they doing well? What are they doing poorly? You know, I'm really excited to kind of get into this and uh, really just break this down with you guys. Well, guys, uh, I'm just as excited as you are. I, th- I think the the hope element is certainly true. And just getting to dig into the numbers and, and figure out, okay, what are these individual fan bases kind of hanging their hat on as they head into this season? What can we expect? You know, uh, uh, we'll talk about Syracuse here in a little bit, Sean Tucker. I mean, dude's, dude's electric. He's special. And I'd love to get to see more of him. He had a big breakout year last year. You know, what does he do for an encore? And, and who are the guys that we're kind of expecting to, to take that next step this season as well? All of that and more coming up uh, right now. Uh, Garrett, you're, uh, you've got Boston College. We're going to go with the ACC Atlantic this episode. The Coastal will be next episode, and we'll do it in alphabetical order just to keep everything uh, kind of formally on, on our notes. Um, but Garrett, with, without any further ado, give us the state of the program for Boston College. Well, uh, man, let me tell you, Boston College, these guys are the definition of a puncher's chance type of team. You know, you talk about a puncher's chance. This isn't the team that you would pick to necessarily win every single match. You're not saying that they're the best or they have the best fundamentals or anything like that. What you're saying is, man, this team could sneak up and they could get you just about any week. Uh, They definitely have talent, but it's time for them to start putting that talent together, right? Third-year coach Jeff Halfley uh, up there. He's been on kind of a slow build. Uh, they went six and five in 2020, six and six in 2021, uh, including a nice win over Mizzou, uh, and then they only barely lost to Clemson. So um, they had a pretty okay year these last couple of years, but definitely not uh, what they're looking for. They lost their quarterback, 
uh, back last September and honestly just struggled to get the offense going after that. Um, they need to know, or they know that they need to win some games this year. Um, their potential only takes you so far. Yeah, as all, as all of us know, when you get into a situation with a newer coach, they can sell you on potential, but at a certain point, you got to see it on the field. Um, their quarterback is coming back from injury. He should look pretty good. Um, and, and then obviously they have their star wide receiver, Zay Flowers. Uh, he got to come back for another season. They kept him out of the draft. They kept him out of the portal, maybe more importantly. Um, and so they should be able to make a little bit of noise. Uh, if we're talking about the offense first, I love what they bring back in terms of experience at the quarterback position, right? Especially in college football, bringing back a quarterback who's played college football before is a big deal. And that's Phil Jerkovich for you. Uh, he should provide a big shot in the arm of this offense. Uh, they only got to, I think it was 20 points. They got there twice when he wasn't there in the offense. So that's okay. not fantastic if you're looking at a, a BC offense with a backup quarterback right now. Uh, he threw for 2,500 yards and 17 touchdowns on 61% in the uh, COVID season 2020, uh, including at games against Clemson and playoff team Notre Dame. So not necessarily scrub talent, and he threw for a pretty good percentage uh, in a shortened season, obviously. Uh, has a really strong arm, really good touch on the long-range throws, uh, and he's athletic enough to extend the play when it breaks down. Uh, and let me tell you what, when it comes to airing it out, he's going to love throwing this ball to Zay Flowers. Like I mentioned, he's probably the best player in this offense. And if you're looking for a game to watch on a Saturday and BC's playing, flip the TV, watch Zay Flowers for a couple minutes. He is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he's got really good speed, but he has excellent lateral quickness. He can put defenders in a spin cycle real quick. Uh, I'm telling you guys, go watch his highlights. It is a bunch of fun. Uh, he got 44 balls for 756 yards, which is a 17-yard average, which is pretty dang good if you ask me. Uh, and he should open up this offense with Jerkovich thrown on the ball. Um, don't overlook their run game, though. They have a top duo uh, that produced 1,000 yards uh, last year, right? They, they got their duo back, uh, Pat Garwo third. Uh, he br rushed for 1,000 yards last year. Um, the issue for BC on offense is going to be on their offensive line, though. Um, they did have a tackle who was a first round talent, but he went down, uh, on injury in the off season and they're replacing every other player on the line as well. They do not bring back a starter on the offensive line. That is not a recipe for success, uh, exactly. in any, in any circumstance, even if you recruit really well, um, you don't want to replace five starters in one year, not the way you want to go this way. Um, now, of course, they are going to bring in their new offensive coordinator, John McNulty. He was at Notre Dame. I'm really curious to see how he works because uh, he's been a little bit of a journeyman, been a little bit of a position guy. He was the OC at Rutgers in two different stints, actually. Uh, but I'm curious to see what he brings in and if he's going to be able to get the most out of his playmakers to get this offense rolling. Um, in terms of the defense, we just got to shout fundamentals, Okay. Everyone knows that, you know, if you want to have a good successful defense, you got to do the little things right. Uh, no missed tackles, stay on your assignment, fill your gap, all those little things, right? They gave up 22.2 points per game, so it doesn't look that bad. But this defense was just a few little things away from being really, truly great. Uh, they gave up four and a half yards per carry, which was 93rd nationally. That's not very good. They have to wrap up. They have to stay in their rush lanes. They have to be able to plug up their gaps and force them to move guys off their assignment. Um, they do return plenty of talent up front, including their sack leader, Marcus Valdez. So 
I think it's really going to be about how much up front they can take a step up, uh, be a little bit better, and set the tone for the defense behind them. They do have some young, talented uh, safeties playing linebacker now, so it's a little bit of a safety converted linebacker. Maybe a little undersized, but plenty of speed. So they should be able to get sideline to sideline as long as they can actually you know, hit the guy and wrap up when they get there. Um, they also are going to bring back some good experience in the secondary, uh, which did have 10, 10 interceptions last season. That was top half in the ACC. So the defense should not be the liability of this team as long as they start to kind of take that next step play a little bit better in their fundamentals and do the little things better. Um, we're looking at this uh, floor ceiling situation. They're over under this year is six and a half. I think you give me the under, but just barely. Uh, it's going to be some tough sledding for them. Obviously this ACC, a lot of teams have gotten better. Um, and I think that they could jump up and surprise a couple of teams. I just kind of think the issues on the offensive line are going to end up tanking them against much more talented defenses who know that if they can just rush the passer, they can exploit those weaknesses and stifle the offense. If everything rolls their way, I could see them going maybe eight and four, which would be a fantastic season uh, for them. But if this O-line is as atrocious as it seems to be, I could also see them maybe dropping to three and nine, only beating Maine, UConn, and NCANT. Vaunted opponents there. would be a bit of an issue for them there. Um, they're really going to struggle, I think, when it comes to the beginning of November. This is, if you're looking at their schedule, trying to figure out what's going to go right for them, what's going to go wrong for them, they have to watch out for Duke at the beginning of November. Uh, they're going to be coming off a two-game road trip and a game against Clemson as their previous three. So uh, definitely not the time for them to slow down, and they're going to have to be able to keep their focus and keep their composure after a possible three-game skid uh, to be able to not drop that game to Duke uh, and their new defensive-minded uh, head coach, Mike Elko. So could be interesting for D.C. My question is, I guess, is B.C. a team that could crack the top 25 at any point this year? Well, so when you look at the, the schedule there, Garrett, and, and nice work on the, on the preview, um, when you look at the, the schedule, and, and Trey, we, we've got a, obviously a sound queued up, what we've termed the danger zone. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, nice. you talk about the two-game road trip, a game against Clemson. Do you see that that danger zone for them is is kind of like the place where the the season falls apart, or is there is there hope for them in that? See, so the issue that they're going to run into, I think, is the fact that they don't really have a good stretch, right? They don't really have a good stretch to get it right. Uh, I'm pulling up their schedule right now. And it looks like, so they get Rutgers to start the year. That should be okay. Then they go to Virginia Tech, probably going to be tough. Then you get to go Maine. Okay, that should be easier. And then it's right back. Florida State, Louisville, Clemson. That's tough. That's a really tough stretch for them. All then they right have to before go, bye week. Right, exactly. And then they go to Wake Forest. They go to UConn, which again, it's UConn, but it is on the road. And then they have to come back and play Duke before another two-game road trip. So it's not so much that I think the season's falling apart at this point. It's just that if they don't start to develop any form of momentum with some of those games, maybe sneak up and grab one of those games that maybe they shouldn't. I mean, we could be talking about a Duke team that's riding a little bit higher and then 
you know, they run into a Boston College team who's a little bit down and they could just continue to get pummeled down before they have to go again to North Carolina State and then at Notre Dame. It's almost a trap game, even though we would normally say a trap game is something where you're expected to win. Um, I don't necessarily think I would pick them to beat Duke, but in terms of trap game, that's going to be their easier game when you look at the the schedule around it, right? What's sandwiching around it. And then obviously they finish with Syracuse. That should be okay. But again, it it just could get really ugly for them if they don't figure out that offensive line and a way to actually protect their quarterback. Yeah. When I was statting out kind of penciling in wins and losses across the whole division, it was hard for me to get Boston college to six. If I'm being honest, Um, (laughs) it, it, and that's not that's not a shot at them. I think it, it's been amazing that they've been able to get to bowl eligibility the last couple of years, especially last year with Phil Jakovic going down. It's he's got to stay healthy. If if he can stay healthy, he's a really exciting guy under center for them. If he can stay healthy, the sky's really the limit. You could, like you said, Garrett, you could see them topping out at a ceiling of eight, maybe even nine wins. But he, do you expect him to stay healthy behind? an entirely new offensive line probably not he's like, gonna that's, take that's a, a lot of hits that's a huge concern so i'm, and I'm he's, rooting he's for them definitely obviously. a physical enough quarterback to do that he's not overly athletic but he can extend some plays and he's got a strong arm like this guy can really sling it so he gets outside the pocket he's got his playmakers out there he could do something good there so i'm not trying to say it's all doom and gloom for boston college but yeah, he's going to take some hits. And, you know, I just I see too many other good options in the ACC right now to be able to say that, yeah, I think for sure they're going to make it to that six. Uh, I think they're going to surprise a couple people. I think they will jump up and maybe win a couple games they're not supposed to. Uh, but, I, man, six and a half is the over-under. I think give me the under. So when I look at their schedule, and, you know, Garrett, you, you mentioned it gets there, – there's not just a comfortable – place in their schedule other than maybe the beginning of the schedule they play Rutgers go to Virginia Tech if they could upset Florida State on the road I think there's a really good chance that they start 4-0 and then maybe that's where they they crack the top 25 um you know 4-0 going into a game at home Chestnut Hill against Louisville on a Saturday that could be a really fun game and 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 maybe a, a chance for Boston College to kind of make a statement early I know um, you fellas are maybe a little bit higher on Louisville than I am. We'll get to that um, in, in due time. But, you know, that's kind of what I'm watching for is, is their start to the season. Now, the, the most glaring weakness, Garrett, like you said, is the offensive line. Uh, and uh, Phil Jerkovic, fantastic talent, formerly committed to Notre Dame, transferred over to Boston College. He's got a great arm. He's known for the deep ball, and that's why he and Zay Flowers mm-hmm. – have worked well together when healthy, but according to the Athletic, Phil Jerkovic ranks dead last in FBS quarterbacks in accuracy on passes shorter than 15 yards. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is he's really not a good short to intermediate quarterback. He's best when he can just you know unleash unleash the cannon and throw it deep with no starting offensive line help coming back. Those deep passes are going to be few and far between, I feel like, until that offensive line can gel. So when you pair that with a team that needs to get off to a hot start to even think about reaching ball eligibility, it really concerns me. Uh, and, and I think that you know Boston College is going to have to find a way to outperform a lot of expectations. I think 
you know, Garrett, I know you have them in, in our predictions going six and six. I had them going uh, six and six as well. And Trey, you make that uh, all, all three of us. You know, if, if they can go out and surprise a Wake Forest or beat a Florida State, then great. Uh, I think seven and five, eight and four is certainly attainable. But until they get that offense kind of meshed together and can prove everyone's going to be healthy, could be tough. It, it could be a really, really tough battle for Jeff Halfley there. Yeah, no, tough sledding for them. And to your point about the offensive line, especially on that lack of ability to throw the short ball, you have to be able to, you know, set up screens, get stuff out of the pocket, maybe sometimes even move the pocket with a rollout uh, and look for maybe like a levels concept where, you know, everyone's dragging across the field to you. If he can't hit those, you know, shorter or even intermediate throws, I mean, what? You just drop a blanket, cover three, cover four all game and, you know, let him fail, right? And so I don't think it's going to be a particularly difficult offense to scheme against in terms of what you have to draw up. Uh, but the saving grace for Boston College is going to be their defense if they can just, like I was saying, wrap up, do the little things. I mean, they play good defense. They don't give up a lot of points. And so um, I think they'll be able to sustain some success and maybe slow down some of these offenses. But yeah, it's going to be really tough to get things going with that offensive line. And as we'll kind of lay out here on this episode, there are some really salty defenses in this division mm-hmm. this year. And so that that's going to be really difficult to face if you don't have the confidence in offensive line. And the toughest part about an offensive line is just having them gel together. So maybe the blessing in disguise is that they're all new and you're not having to find pieces and maybe fit a square peg into a round hole. You can kind of start with a blank canvas, but man, they're going to have to learn fast. I like that they get three easier games to uh oh sure yeah to kind of ease into the schedule before going down to Tallahassee but yeah it's going to be tough and they're going to need to learn fast well from Chestnut Hill down to Death Valley Trey Clemson needs a bounce back this year and they're not going to have their usual coordinators to help Dabo get that done yeah so let's talk about the Clemson Tigers um like you said a little bit of a step back last year. Um, they still won 10 games for the 11th consecutive season uh, after beating Iowa State in the Cheez-It Bowl. But if you're Clemson, you don't want to be in the Cheez-It Bowl, right? You have your sets, your sights set much, much higher than that. 10-3 um, and three is a great season for a lot of programs, but um, Clemson's standard has just been set higher than that um, over the last decade with Dabo in charge. Um, a three-loss campaign. That snapped a streak of six straight ACC championships in college football playoff appearances. Uh, Both of those were um, the longest in the country, longest conference championship streak, and longest um, college football playoff appearance streak. Um, But this is a huge season for Dabo. All of that is great. All of those accolades are amazing. But every single one of Clemson's college football playoff victories came with either Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. So the big question this year is, can they reach the heights that they've reached in the past without a generational quarterback? Or do they have that next generational quarterback on campus? Do they Are they going to develop a new one? Do they have him in a freshman five-star, Cade uh, um, Klubnik, that we'll talk about in just a second? But... Also, an extra layer of this that's kind of come out in the last couple weeks. I was thinking about this the other day. This is kind of a big audition for Clemson for the Super Conferences, right? I I was really shocked when, and this is diving into realignment just a little bit, but we'll get back to the ACC. 
<laughs> when you think about Oregon and Clemson, really the only difference between those two programs is the recent high-level success from Clemson, right? I was kind of shocked that the brand of Oregon didn't automatically get them into a super conference. If Oregon is not in the Big Ten, I don't think Clemson's safe, personally. So that might be a little bit of a hot take. I think they're in a little bit of an audition phase if they can reach this top level without um, the generational quarterback talent that they have. So coming into this year, um, they still signed the 10th-ranked recruiting class uh, with only 20 signees. Big interesting thing for me, they had to replace both coordinators. Tony Elliott is at uh, the head coach at Virginia now. Brent Venables, head coach at Oklahoma. Instead of going out and finding a high-profile name from another school, Dabo Sweeney decides to promote from within for both of these two coordinators. So Brandon Streeter and uh, Wes Goodwin both promoted from within. Uh, Goodwin was a senior defensive assistant, and uh, Brandon Streeter was a longtime passing game coordinator and QB coach. So that's going to be really, really interesting to me. So just starting up front with offense, um, guys, it was not pretty last year for Clemson. They ranked 99th nationally, and it was just painful to watch. They only scored more than 21 points in six of their games last year, which when you think about, yeah, when you think about the standard that Clemson has set offensively, that's just not going to cut it. Um, The good news, if you're a fan of the Tigers, though, is that five of those six were uh, the last five regular seasons of the game or regular games, regular games, regular season games. There we go. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Uh, The last the last five of those six were the last five games of the regular season. Mm -hmm. Um, And Clemson returns pretty much every uh, every part of that offense from last year, including DJU. Guys, last year he looked like he was more comfortable in those Dr. Pepper commercials than he was out on the field. Um, <laughs> it's Oof. a huge prove-it year for DJU, and I don't really think it's going to be a prove-it year. It's going to be more like a prove-it couple of games at the beginning of the season. I'll get into their schedule here in just a little bit, but if things go sideways in the first month of the year, you're going to see Cade Klubnik. I have no doubt in my mind that Dabo's not going to just let uh, DJ, you lead his offense to a 99th ranking for a second season in a row. There's a reason that he went out and got a five-star quarterback and uh, the quarterback that some outlets were ranking number one in the country. Um, if the if he struggles, if DJU struggles again to start the year, Cade Clubman is going to get a lot of time to show if he is the real deal or not. Um, but yeah, just talking about the rest of that offense, uh, I'll start up front. Clemson's going to return both of their tackles. Uh, Will Putnam is going to move from right guard to center. He's a very experienced guy that started a lot of games for them at guard. He'll be manning the center spot, but depth is going to be a real issue for these guys up front. Um, They were really inconsistent in 2021. Um, They had uh, one of their starters that they were penciling in, had to medically retire uh, right before spring ball. And so this looks like it might be it. They were talking like they were going to go get a couple of guys from the portal but um, haven't seen that they've signed anybody really of note uh, out of the portal to try to help them out there. Um, but yeah, uh, Will Shipley uh, and Kobe Pace are probably going to lead the backfield. Uh, Phil Mata also got significant backfield time last year. Um, so it's going to be one of the best backfield stables in the ACC. But just like we're talking about with Boston College, um, it's got to start up front, right? We're going to talk about all these great defenses that the Tigers and uh, Boston College are going to have to face in this division. 
if they're not getting able to get good pass protection or open up holes for those guys, it's not going to be pretty for the offense. Um, over the receiving core, drops were a huge issue, um, not just for the receivers, but for all the pass catchers. They led the ACC in drops. Um, Joseph Ngata is a guy that Dabo Sweeney's kind of been seeing the praises of every offseason that he's been on campus. We haven't seen a huge breakout from him yet. He's shown flashes. He's shown um, that he can be a super talented receiver, but he's got to be a go-to guy for whoever's taking the majority of those snaps for Clemson this year. Um, so he needs to break out um, and he has to stay healthy. Uh, Brandon Spector missed last year with COVID complications. He's back to man uh, the slot role, which the Clemson offense, you think back to Hunter Renfro, you think back to some of the other guys they've had man that slot position. They've got to have consistency inside uh, at the inside receiver position. So they're hoping that Streeter uh, or Spectre can come back and provide that. Um, but they also have a couple of freshmen in Adam Randall and Antonio Williams that should compete for reps. Cause again, there's not a ton of experience depth at receiver for Clemson. Um, overall on the defensive side of the ball, obviously um, the defensive line was what led Clemson in addition to quarterback play, but the defensive line was kind of their bread and butter on those national championship teams. This could be the best defensive line that we've seen in Clemson since that 2018 uh, national championship team. So for the new defensive coordinator, Wes Goodwin, he's going to have guys like Xavier Thomas, Miles Murphy, Brian Breesey, and Tyler Davis just mauling guys up front, and they're going to have a lot of depth. That trademark Clemson depth up front is going to be very, very apparent this year. Uh, they lost both of their linebackers last year. They were lost a six-year and a fifth-year guy, um, but they do appear like they're going to get a lot more athletic. We know Clemson likes to spin down former safeties into that linebacker sure. spot, so... Look for that to keep happening. Um, but uh, Trenton Simpson is the guy to watch at linebacker. He's getting a lot of first-round draft bugs. And cornerback was also the place that they lost a lot of talent. So Andrew Booth and uh, Mario Goodrich, they're both gone to the NFL. We're going to have to see a freshman five-star early enrollee, Jaden Lucas, step up. He got hurt in spring ball, but Dabo Sweeney saying that he'll be back, ready to go for the fall. He's going to see a lot of action really quickly, and we'll see uh, if he's the real deal. So I think Clemson's defense is going to carry this team. They're the reason that they won 10 games last year. Mm -hmm. Definitely wasn't the offense, um, but <laughs> lots of depth up front. I think they can rely on that defensive line and get a lot of pressure, make a lot of these opposing quarterbacks uncomfortable in 2022. So looking at their schedule and looking at just kind of their floor ceiling, Man, Vegas, again, is just setting a really high over-under for the Clemson Tigers last Love year. Love Death Valley. They do, and so they set it this year at 10.5, and, and guys, just like I said last year in the lead-up to the season, give me the under again. Um, I just don't see this being an undefeated team, and if you're asking me if they lose one or, one or greater than one games, I got to take that they're going to lose more than one. Um, I think there's just so many things that could go wrong on offense for them. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't find a set, a set weapon at receiver. DJU is not ready to go and does, still doesn't look comfortable. He looks more like 2021 than 2020 DJU. Um, the schedule just doesn't really line up well for them. I'll get into that in a second. I think it, they're losing at least two games this year, if you're asking me. The ceiling, even if everything goes right, I still see them dropping a regular season game, but... They definitely are the most talented team on paper. So obviously the ceiling is 
going 11 and one and winning another ACC title. But if everything goes wrong, I think you could see as many as four or five losses. Um, there's just a lot of talent spread around the ACC. There's a lot of experience spread around the ACC. Uh, that's going to give a lot of trouble to Clemson. So if you're looking at their schedule, their danger zone, They've got a couple. Uh, so they have a really tough back-to-back week four and week five um, at Wake Forest. That's a game. Uh, I'm going to post this on Instagram here as soon as I can. But that's my prediction for college game day of week four is college sure. game day goes into Wake Forest where the Clemson Tigers come to town. Um, that's going to be a tough environment and a tough road game for them. And the very following week, they have uh, the team I'll talk about in a little bit, NC State, the most experienced team in the ACC that's looking to take that next step. That's a really tough back-to-back. But then all of November, guys, four game, four weeks in a row, at Notre Dame, at home against Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina. So if you're oh. looking at the bright side, they get Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina at home, all back-to-back-to-back, but that is a tough four-week stretch. Um, if you're looking at it, our, our big question for Clemson is what are the two games that are absolute must-wins? I think it's that week four, week five. Uh, at Wake Forest, at home against NC State. If you come out of week five uh, undefeated, sky's the limit. You're legitimately talking about a legit national championship contender, and you've set the naysayers aside. Even if it's a defensive-led couple of wins, that would be two huge wins on your resume, and I think it could carry the momentum all the way into November and into December. I've got Clemson is the third best team in the ACC Atlantic. Uh, this Man. this this division is stacked and you know, I'm very excited to see how all this shakes out. Uh, you know, Clemson couldn't move the ball offensively. DJU very similar to Dracovic. He's not a guy that excels at that short passing game. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they didn't have Justin Ross last year and I, I know their, their passing game was, was kind of a mess. It was kind of scrambled eggs there for a little bit. So maybe with, kind of a, a, a get right year under their belt. Maybe this is the time where DJ really starts to take that, that next step. But you know, if he doesn't, this, this schedule could get out of hand in the middle of the season real fast. I mean, go sideways in a hurry, wake forest, NC state, Boston college, Florida state are their games week four through seven. And that's even before they get to the buy. And then after they have a buy week nine, at Notre Dame, home against Louisville, home against Miami, and then home against South Carolina to close it out. So it's it's gonna take it's gonna take some real effort to win even nine games, I think. Yeah, I I, I think we talked about this on our uh that's my quarterback episode, Mitch. Mm-hmm. I, I've got Kate Klubnik taking over by the end of October. Um I think personally, I, I just gotta see it with DJU we've seen two good games in his whole career um and they were both in 2020 in the COVID year when there weren't a lot of scouting on him I think Cade Klubnick's starting at quarterback for this team maybe as early as the Boston College game yeah I mean I was about to say for this Clemson team it just feels like everything has to go right for them to reach their potential you know some teams you can kind of let it kind of figure itself out let it start to come together but that's not what it seems like here it seems like you're writing a lot on Okay, well, does the offensive line stay healthy, right? They they need to stay healthy. There is no depth there. Does the wide receiver core, is there an alpha that establishes? 
does DJU actually step up or is Cade Klubnik even ready for college ball? He was very good in high school. We all got to watch that up close and personal, but is he ready for college ball? Does uh, their, Devo... coaches, their coaches don't think so, by the way. If you read what their coaches are saying, they think he needs at least one more offseason to add weight and to add um, conditioning mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. Right. But let's even say, okay, let's say that you lose to Wake Forest and things are going pretty bad against NC State. If you're down at halftime in that NC State game, depending on the score, are you going to let DJ Hugo lose you two in a row? Or are you going to try to throw him in there and see if you can find something? I mean, that's my issue, though, is it feels like so many things have to go right for this offense to actually perform well. Yeah, they're going to be able to run okay. But again, when you get to this part of the you know offseason and you start to speculate, the fewer times you can say if, the better, Right. You don't want to keep saying, well, if this happens and if this happens and if we can pull this one off and if we can do that. And it just feels like there's a lot of ifs around Clemson right now. And that makes me want to back off and say, I'm not so sure. I think I'm with you on the over under. I don't think that they get to 11. I could see 10 pretty easy, but yeah, they could drop a couple of these games. And there's a few teams on this schedule. You know, I think their must win nationally has to be Notre Dame, right? You have to be able to make a statement kind of like what you were saying. If you're looking at realignment in the bigger picture, you have to be able to beat Notre Dame this year, but you have to go play them at their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I mean, if you're looking at Miami towards the end of the season, uh, even with what South Carolina is doing, I mean, there's there's some games that they really got to look out for. And, you know, the inexperience with their coordinators, it just it feels like there's too many moving pieces for me to really want to go all in on Clemson. And Dabo's a guy that has never really done things the way that, quote unquote, you're supposed to. Um, in major college football, I mean, he, he's had some great recruiting classes. He's never signed. I don't think he's ever signed the top recruiting class. Um, and he's really focused on continuity with the coordinators and, um, building a program and obviously hiring within from within is a big part of that. Um, the other X factor that you're going to have guys is Clemson's been the bully going on for a decade now in the ACC and every single one of these teams that's looking to make the next step this is their statement game, right? You talk about Clemson yeah. needing to make a statement at Notre Dame. Wake Forest is going to be looking to make a statement again against Clemson. NC State's going to look to prove that last year wasn't a fluke against Clemson. Louisville, Miami, yep. South Carolina to end the year. It, they're all looking to make a huge statement against the Clemson Tigers, and it looks good when you beat the bully. It's weird to feel like Clemson's behind the eight ball after their run of dominance, but... Feels like they might be. Uh, so well, we'll see how, how Dabo responds here. And the only other thing I'll add is they're one of the very few teams that ceiling truly is a national championship team, right? Yeah. Oh, you talked about Garrett talked about there's so many ifs. If the answer to those ifs is yes, Clemson's probably playing for a national championship. They're at least making oh, yeah. a playoff. And you can't say that about a ton of teams. So it's not all doom and gloom for Clemson, but there are a lot of ifs. If the answer to those ifs are yes, they're going to the college football playoff again. If the answers are no to more than just a couple of them, could get really ugly really fast. All right. Well, excellent job on Clemson. Uh, gentlemen, we, we moved to my first team. Uh, this program, they're fresh off a five and seven season, and their fourth straight losing campaign since for the first time since the mid-70s. Uh, this was a program that at one time had a 36-year bowl streak and won a national title as recently as 2013. Both of those are distant memories at this point. Uh, this team, this program, 
had one of the largest Twitter spaces in Twitter history that you could gain <laughs> access to by opening your comments with hashtag Fire Mike Norvell. Of course, I'm talking about the Florida State Seminoles and a program that has had three different head coaches, eight different coordinators, all in just five years. Uh, You talk about a program that is needing some consistency and some continuity, and I point you down to Tallahassee. Again, they won a national championship not even 10 years ago under Jimbo Fisher, and that feels like it could have been 30 years ago with how badly this program has struggled. There's been progress under Mike Norvell, but I tell you what, he's still got a mountain to climb just to get this team back to being relevant. Last season could not have started any worse. They played Notre Dame within an inch of their life to open that season, which was, you know, looked like a a great start for the Knowles. Mackenzie Milton comes back in, kind of revitalizes that offense. They give Notre Dame uh, one of the biggest scares of their season, but they proceed to go 0-4 to start the season, including an embarrassing Hail Mary loss to Jacksonville State uh, that, you know, really a lot of people thought was the absolute death nail for Mike Norvell. The team though rallied. They they went five and three with wins over UNC and Miami after that, but with bowl eligibility awaiting and a return to the postseason seemingly imminent, the team lost to Florida twenty four twenty one. Florida was coached then by an interim head coach. They had already fired Dan Mullen. You know the Gators were well on their way out from being considered a powerhouse. And it just was a disappointing, bitter loss for a program that felt like they were much better than a five and seven team. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, specifically defensively, they probably should have been. Uh, You mix all of that in with a a finish of 20th in recruiting last season, kind of marred by what they didn't get more than who they did when they lost Travis Hunter to Jackson State. Uh, and you've got a very interesting year three for Mike Norvell. So the preview looks like this. Offensively, Alex Atkins is the offensive coordinator. He'll take over for Kenny Dillingham, who's now at Oregon. Uh, Atkins was the O-line coach, who's now been promoted. Jordan Travis is back at quarterback after finding his form late last season. Uh, Milton came in at the, well, really in the middle of that Notre Dame game, but as the 0-4 start proceeded, Milton couldn't really get the offense to do much. Jordan Travis eventually won that job back. Um, He tossed 17 touchdowns, two interceptions in the back half of the season, which I think gives a lot of Knowles fans some hope about the quarterback position. Behind him, though, it's a real concern. Depth is is not good. Chubba Purdy is gone to Nebraska, and they just don't really have anybody experienced to back up Jordan Travis. So if Travis is, is either not good or he goes down, the Knowles season and Mike Norvell's tenure in Tallahassee might just go down with him. Running back will be by committee this season, according to most reports. They've got Trayshawn Ward as the leading returner. Uh, Trey, Trey Benson also comes in from Oregon to add a little bit of depth to that uh, that room. Wide receiver, they don't return a lot of production, but they did get two really massive transfers. Micah Pittman also comes in from Oregon, and Johnny Wilson transfers in from listless Arizona State. Uh, so both of those additions really should help that uh, that offense be be more explosive, I think, than what we saw last year. They've certainly got options, but they need to take the next step after just being 84th last season in yards per pass attempt. A lack of explosive plays overall has really been the killer for Florida State, and this is really going back even 
to the Willie Taggart days. They just haven't been able to move the ball in big chunk plays. And as a result, when they're going as bad as they have been, it's because that offense is, is stalling out. The defense is just left, left stranded on the field. Um, the offensive line has been notoriously bad, and that even goes back to the Jimbo Fisher era where you know they were recruiting a lot of four- or five-star offensive linemen but getting no development out of them. That problem has certainly persisted. And last season, they were 114th in the country in sacks allowed. Now, part of that was because they were so young. 14 of the 16 scholarship offensive linemen are sophomores or younger this season. Uh, they do bring back four starters on the line, but you know, a question I wrote in the notes, is, is that necessarily a good thing? They were so bad a season ago. Trey, I think you had mentioned it at, at one point. Maybe it kind of helps if you just you know, clear the slate, start from a fresh perspective. Uh, defensively, they've got Randy Shannon and Adam Fuller as their co-DCs. Um, overall, the defense took a great step forward last season. They were the bright spot for, for a Knowles team. In 2020, the unit was historically bad. They were one of the worst in the country at literally every single metric. Uh, from 2021, they do lose linebacker Keir Thomas and Edge Jermaine Johnson, who obviously was uh, the ACC player of the year after transferring from Georgia. He's now a New York Jet. Uh, but they do bring back the majority of what is a really veteran defensive line unit. Jared Verse also comes in from Albany, an FCS school, and he was an FCS All-American, one of the best in the country at that level. He's expected to really fill that Jermaine Johnson role uh, for the Knowles this season. Starting defensive tackles are both back, so they should really have a stout front four. In the secondary, the Knowles bring back almost every single starter from last year, so that should certainly help. And when it comes to returning production on a defensive side, 10 of the top 11 tacklers are back. Uh, Jamie Robinson transfers from South Carolina. He's back uh, for, I guess he transferred last year. He's back for his second year with the team, and so is Akeem Dent. So both starting safeties are back. 76% of tacklers return. So all of that to say, the offense... An infusion of talent. We'll see about the offensive line. The defense really should be as good, if not better, than what we saw last year. So that brings us to the floor-ceiling question. Vegas, not very high on them. And by the way, all of these lines are provided by Bet Online, not a sponsor. Could be. Uh, the over-under for the Seminoles is 6.5. I'm going to say over, and I'm higher on Knowles than, than either of you guys are. But personally, I've got them at 8-4 and four this season. I think nine and three is their ceiling. I don't really think that they can go much higher than that. And nine and three, you know, when I look at their schedule would include a win over Wake Forest. The floor to me is still bowl eligibility, I think, at six and six, but that would probably include losses to LSU to start the season in New Orleans and then to Florida during rivalry weekend as well. Uh, Trey, the danger zone. is week six through eight for me. Week six versus Wake, week seven at NC State, week eight versus Clemson. Their, their season could either be built on that trio of games or absolutely decimated uh, by that run. Um, so, you know, guys, ultimately the, the question that I have for the Knowles that I need answered, what are we looking as far as minimum wins for Norvell to, to keep his job and earn a year four, I think it's got to be seven. I don't think that bowl eligibility saves his job. I know they really want continuity down there, but at the same time, you've got to beat some of these programs that just aren't more talented than you. 
So I think seven and maybe even my prediction of eight and four is is what Norvell needs to save his job. Yeah, he's he's I think seven is spot on uh, to to answer that question. Man, I think both of you guys are a little bit higher on the Knowles than I am. I'm just in I gotta see it to believe it mode uh, for Mike Norvell. It that program's broken, man. It they showed flashes last year, and I think if you're a Seminoles fan, that's your cause for optimism. Is down the stretch they did look competitive last year, right? They they finished the year going five and three after a dismal start, but. As I'm plotting out their season, I I have them at five and seven. I I don't have them making a bowl, and I think Mike Norvell. I'd be shocked if he made it to the end of the year. He just, man, he he I'm rooting for the guy, but he just doesn't seem like a guy that has the it factor to run a program of the caliber of Florida State. Um, you look at even the news today that they, the number one prospect in 2024 seemed to be leaning to Florida state and ready to commit even. And then they're yeah. just not talking to him. Like <laughs> yeah. what is, what is going on in Tallahassee? So they, they've got, they've got to prove it to me. I, I think beating LSU week one would go a long way. And I don't think you mentioned this Mitch, but they do have a little bit of an advantage. This is the same situation LSU had against UCLA last year yep. where It'll be Florida State's second game. So they do have a game against Duquesne to kind of get the kinks out before heading to New Orleans to play LSU. That's the same LSU or same situation that bid LSU last year when UCLA had already played, I think it was Hawaii on week zero. And then LSU goes out to Pasadena and gets rolled by UCLA. So I mean, taking advantage of that opportunity would show me a huge step in the right direction. That's a big opportunity that you've been given a huge advantage. Um, so go take, go, go take care of business and get your stuff together uh, on the recruiting trail, Mike Norvell, so you can stay around. Well, the big issue that I'm looking at here is it looks like so many of their games are on the road, especially their tough games. You're playing technically a neutral site game with LSU. That's a home game for the Tigers and you know, coming. Yep. Come on. Um, you're going to Louisville the right, like right next week. Uh, you got to play at North Carolina state. You got to play at Miami. It just looks like there's too many tough games on the road for them. You'd really prefer most of those games to be at home, right? They do get wake forest at home. They do get Clemson at home, but man, like it's, it's just not looking fantastic. And when you're talking about, especially the direction programs are moving, I don't see Florida state moving in the right direction and I see way too many of the other programs with maybe more reasons to believe in themselves this year, uh, more reasons to care about the results of this year, maybe a little bit more success last year. They're trying to capitalize on that this year. I just kind of don't see where their motivation is right now. I don't know if they're playing for Norvell. Uh, and so, I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Trey on this one. I don't think they have a fantastic season. I do think they'll win enough to make a bowl, but I just don't think that's enough to get them there. I've got the Knowles at, at eight and four. Uh, like I mentioned, um, you know, those four losses could very easily be like Louisville, NC state, Clemson and Miami, but that's assuming that they beat teams like LSU, like wake forest, Boston college at home. Um, and they you know, haven't and, and, proven and, that they can done that, do that. No, since they have Fisher walked out that door. They, they haven't. So it is maybe a little bit of a leap of faith. I, 
it's hard for me to imagine that as much time as Norvell has had, that this team won't be markedly better because, you know, very similarly to what um, I guess it was Clemson's offense showed last year down the stretch, they took a lot of steps forward. Now it was a wet, you know, wet blanket at the end when Florida knocked them off without any purpose uh, in, in that program. But I'm going to ride with the Knowles this year. Eight and four is not an egregious stretch of the imagination. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's a loaded division. Will it be tough? Sure. Um, but uh, I, the way I, it shakes out, I, I think if that offense can be just better than last year, harness something from that second half of the season, the defense is going to take care of business. So I'm all aboard the uh, the FSU hype train, at least getting to eight and four this season. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Ones and Twos. Um, all right. Well, from a program that I'm higher on than most to a program that Garrett is higher on than most, take us down to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, well, to talk about Louisville, I'm going to give you two words. Uh, the first word is Malik. The second word is Cunningham. Did he decide what name he wants to go by? Is, well, is he going I, with Malik? Name like three times. I think it's yeah. Malik Cunningham, isn't it? I'm going yeah. with Malik. That's what we're it's, going with. I on think it program. is Malik, but I've, it could yeah. be different by the start of the season. So <laughs> stay tuned. Well, yeah, we'll see if that changes. What's not going to change, though, is that he is, in my estimation, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Uh, this is his fourth year coming back to play. And if he can reach just that next level of consistency, that next level of play, this is going to be a very special season for Louisville. Uh, last year, you look at what they did. They lost by three on the road to Wake Forest. They lost by one to Virginia. They lost by six to Clemson. And that came down to a goal line stand that just didn't work out for them. Um, they did not have an issue scoring. They only failed to reach 30, game, or 30 points in four games. They only missed 20 once. Uh, and they put up some massive numbers. I think they ended up averaging, I think, something crazy with their point total. Um, but if they can get up over the hump with the in-state rival Kentucky, they you know lost several members of their staff. But th- this should be a real good season for the Cardinals. Let's talk about the offense for a second. Uh, Malik Cunningham, he compiled almost 4,000 yards of offense and 39 touchdowns last year just by himself. Uh, he's going to be going against some retooled ACC squads this year that should allow him to match, if not exceed that this year. Um, and, and if he has Louisville in a good enough national position come November, I think he's a dark horse Heisman candidate. I think he could be getting that invite to New York. Um, and I think that they could be talking about sort of stuff we haven't seen since Lamar left. Right, that, that There could be some very good things there on the horizon for them. Um, They do have a veteran offensive line. They've got 20 years of experience coming back across four different players. Uh, They're going to be just fine up front. Um, They are bringing in a new guy, I believe, to anchor that fifth spot. Um, And they should have plenty of time to let him kind of settle his feet, pick apart some defenses, make some good decisions. Maybe he won't run for as many touchdowns, but he also won't be running for his life. Uh, That running back spot is going to be just fine. Their running back duo combined for 1,100 yards last year. They brought in a a transfer from Tennessee. I believe it's Tyon Evans. I don't know exactly how you're supposed to say that. Uh, He rushed for 500-plus with the Vols. Uh, So there's plenty of talent to give him some outlet options, keep the weight off of his shoulders, You know, not the entire offense riding on him. The biggest concern for them is who's catching the ball. They did lose wide receiver Tyler Harrell. Um, They brought in a couple of transfers, but they're really going to need somebody to step up and prove they're going to be a reliable star 
uh, a reliable option for their star quarterback. Um, who's going to develop the chemistry with them? Does Louisville even need a star receiver with as good as their quarterback is? Sometimes you see quarterbacks rise up enough that if you just have guys that are going to be in the right spot, get open a little bit, he'll make the play. Um, the defense is really where you have the most concern. <clears throat> uh, there's plenty of experience coming back uh, on their defense but it's not particularly great experience, right? They finished bottom half in the nation in almost every single statistical category, and they need to improve if Louisville wants to have the season they're going to hope to have. They're a little bit small up front, so they're not going to be great in run stopping. Um, they're going to have to really figure out ways to scheme how to get in their gaps and not get pushed around by more physical offensive lines. But they have shown a plus ability to rush the passer. Uh, they're bringing back Yasir Abdullah. Uh, he had 10 sacks and 16 and a half tackles for loss. That is fantastic production, uh, and he should be able to repeat that this year. Um, they did lose a bunch in the secondary, but they're bringing back uh, some big senior leadership and definitely uh, some talent in that room that's much younger. So should be just fine on the defense, but there are some question marks, uh, to say the least. Uh, they also brought in some transfers to compete on the back end. Um and for a unit that didn't turn the ball over a lot, I think that's kind of what they're looking at is trying to find a way is to uh, get the ball back in the hands of Cunningham and that offense. Uh, for Louisville, that's just what they need to do. Their defense has to find a way to get their offense on the field as much as possible, right? They need to create negative plays. They need to turn the ball over and they need to give uh, Cunningham and that offense as many options and as many opportunities as they can to put that ball in the end zone. Um, they don't have to be a top half defense in order for Louisville to have a great season but they have to find a way, like I said, to create those negative plays. Uh, and they have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, if you're looking at their over-under, they got six and a half. I am hammering the over on this one. Uh, I, I am absolutely on the Louisville train. Thank you very much. Um, no, I, look, if you're looking at the ACC as a whole, they're turning over a lot of head coaches, a lot of coordinators, uh, and they're, they're going to have to go against Clemson and Kentucky, uh, but the majority of their harder games are at home, right? They're going to Clemson. They're going uh, to Lexington. But most of their games, they're going to have to play their home games. And so that plays well for them, uh, especially if you're looking at those uh, games at the end of November. Uh, you know, because obviously if you have those games towards the end, they're going to have plenty of time to build and to sort of get ready for those games, figure out their rhythm, and especially on defense, figure out their assignments and, you know, build some chemistry together. Uh, if everything goes right for this team, I can legitimately see them going 11-1. and one. Uh, However, this defense could give up too many points. They could allow some of those other offenses to play a little bit of ball control. Uh, they could lose several games and miss a bowl game. So for me, Louisville's one of those big uh, you know, swing up or swing down teams, right? They could be amazing and they could be terrible. Um, don't have a great feel on what they're going to do. I think a lot of it is just going to be, again, it's going to be on Malik being great and it's going to be on that defense being just good enough to get the ball in their hands. Man, I thought I was high on Louisville, picking them to go eight and four, and you just are <laughs> creaming down the tracks on the hype drink train. Oh, absolutely. I no, I think, I think they're going to be just fine. Again, I think Malik is a special player. I think special players in college football can do things uh, like take your team up over the top and give you seasons that don't make a lot of sense, right? You think about some previous Heisman winners, I think, you know, go straight to Johnny Manziel back in 2012. Crazy year for the Ags. Nobody had them doing that, right? 
They just beat Bama again for the second time since joining the conference. The first time was their first year with Johnny Manziel. So, you know, you could see a type of special season when you have that good of a quarterback. Now, their danger zone. Definitely their last three games. They they might be 9-0 and and then lose their last three, right? And that would be a disappointing finish to a season for a very, very excited uh, fan base there. They go to Clemson, NC State at home, and then to Lexington. Do you call NC State a trap game in this situation? Again, we would normally pick you know trap games like that for a team that you're supposed to lose to. I don't know that you call them a trap game, but if you're sandwiching them between Clemson and Kentucky – that's tough. Um, I'll tell you why NC State's not a trap game in just a second. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, momentum is kind of a funny thing in college football. You know, let's say that they come in with a really good record. You kick that stint off with a win against Clemson. You play the pack at home in a rocking stadium. You could charge into Lexington feeling invincible, right? But if you lose to Clemson, you might come in limping a little bit, not get on a roll. And then you're looking at losing possibly three in a row in a rivalry week. So um, the question here is, does Louisville's recruiting momentum survive if they go maybe eight and four uh, or worse if things fall apart? Yeah, I so Malik Cunningham, you're, you're absolutely right. When he looks on, he is shades of Lamar Jackson out there in that Louisville uniform, right? Like he is electric. I, I don't think you talked about this yet, Garrett, but man, they're non-conference schedule is sneaky scary to me and i i think usf you can definitely pencil that in for a win they week two they go down to the bounce house and play at ucf they did beat ucf at home last year but tough environment their fans are going to be really fired up for that they played james madison a team making the move up to the fbs who's been a powerhouse at the fcs level and i think kentucky's going to be really really good this year so that's that's my concern with going all in on the hype train for Louisville is they, their conference schedule sets up really nicely for them. I don't know that they get out of the non-conference schedule without stubbing their toe. Oh, and I could see them losing to Kentucky for sure. That's not my issue. I, I'm not saying that I'm picking them to necessarily beat Kentucky. I think where my issue comes in is I'm not if I'm Louisville, I'm not scared of James Madison. I'm not scared of... You know, South Florida. Yeah, UCF on the road. That's a tough game. UCF on a Friday night? On a Friday night, anything can happen down there. Yeah, no, for sure. But I guess I'm just kind of looking at this. I'm saying you get most of your tough games at home. Uh, You get most of your easy games early on, right? So if they can get past UCF early, I think they carry themselves through Florida State, South Florida. You're looking at 4-0, Boston College. You could call that 5-0. Virginia, I call that 6-0. And And now we're talking about going into Pitt. At home, uh, Wake Forest off of at home, off of by. You're looking at both these teams at home coming off of maybe six and oh, here again. Momentum's funny, man. And you know, they lose that game to UCF, you could be talking about a very different season for them. You know, I could see them dropping the game at Florida State if they lose to UCF. Uh, maybe Boston College, I said they had a puncher's chance, so maybe they could do something, but it, it's just to me, it I think it really depends on how they get the season started. I expect them to do pretty well getting the season started and carrying some of that momentum through the end of the season. That last stretch is brutal. At Clemson, North Carolina State, and at Kentucky is a brutal stretch. Uh, but hey, if you're nine and zero, you know, hype. Carries. I want to join you, but Scott Satterfield is eighteen and nineteen at Louisville. Sure, 
I, I was going to say, Garrett, Garrett's it. predicting they do something that they haven't done since 2013 when Teddy Bridgewater led them to a 12-1 and record. Um, not even Lamar Jackson. Sorry? I'm here for it. I, I, I'm rooting for it to happen. It would, but... it, would be, it would be a great story if it could happen. Just to highlight the divergence in our predictive models, Garrett has them at 11-1. and one. I don't even have them making a bowl game. I've got them at 5-7. <laughs> and seven. Yeah, and so it could swing one way or the other. It's right? probably it could go somewhere there in the middle. Neither of our extremes are probably right, but I tell you <laughs> what um, – <laughs> Garrett and I were on two different wavelengths. Hey, you got to ride with somebody, right? You got to ride with somebody. Looking I love it. Louisville, yeah. So it, it honestly could not have worked out any better than than what we want because now that we solidify these picks, uh, you know, as our preview, I mean, gosh, it's going to be one of the storylines that we get to watch. Just how good is Louisville going through uh, in, in 2022? We'll, we'll wait and see. Trey, one of the teams that we expect to be at the very top of the conference is NC State. Yeah, so I poo-pooed on the Louisville hype train a little bit. I am all on board the NC State hype train. <laughs> Guys, for, first of all, I just want to apologize to the good people of Raleigh, North Carolina. I want to apologize to Dave Doran for sleeping on the Wolfpack, y'all. They have 39 wins over the past five seasons. That trails only Clemson in the ACC, and they're ranked ninth in the country in wins over the past two seasons with 17. They're building something special in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm here for it, man. They uh, the two ACC losses last year. Um, they are at Miami and at Wake Forest by a combined four points. Um, they also had a couple of thrilling wins over Clemson and North Carolina where that North Carolina game, guys, was one of the most amazing sequences of the entire season where they score two touchdowns in 26 seconds to come back and beat the Tar Heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they pick off a Hail Mary attempt in the end zone to seal that one. Um, Interesting fact, they they went 9-3 and in the regular season, um, beat Clemson. They were poised to and favored to... Uh, win their bowl game against UCLA. They were going to play in the holiday bowl against UCLA. If they win that game, it was going to be just the second 10 win season in NC state's history. But man, just par for the course for NC state athletics in the year of 2021, they get told the day of the bowl game that um, UCLA has COVID complications and can't play the game. So they don't get to play. Um, But man, you read what these guys are talking about. You read, um, just the mindset of that program. They could be hanging their heads after that. They could, there could be a hangover that carries away from that game and not getting to play it. They're actually using it as motivation. So if we want to talk about narrative street, um, NC state is using that um, loss of an opportunity to motivate them for this year. And guys, they have the team that could carry them to maybe their best finish in program history. So mm-hmm. on offense, it all starts with Devin Leary. Um, this is a guy that Dave Doran is really high on. He's gone as far to say that he's the most talented quarterback in the country. Um, and th- that's a list that includes guys like Bryce Young, um, the guy that won the Heisman last year. So his coach really believes in him and he was electric in 2021. He threw for over 3,400 yards, uh, 65.7% completions and 35 touchdowns to just five interceptions. Um, in his first year as a full-time starter. Uh, it's his fifth year in the program. He's going to be completing with uh, Tyler Van Dyke down at Miami, I think, to be, and Malik Cunningham, 
to be probably the tops at that position in the conference. Also a dark horse Heisman candidate. I would not be surprised at all to see Devin Leary make his way to New York City in December. Um, He thinks he can be even better in 2022. It's his fifth year in the program, like I said. Um, They're going to have to replace their top two rushers from last season. But uh, Jordan Houston is expected to take over that lead round. And their top recruit was four-star Michael Allen out of Greenville. He's looking to uh, take a lot of reps in that uh, backfield as well. Um, So their receivers, uh, Emeka Menzi graduated. He was their leading receiver last year. They've got a lot of experience. That's going to be a theme you hear with NC State. I was texting with Mitch last night, I think the most sixth year players and fifth year players I think I've ever seen on a roster. Like it's, it's insane. You read through their state of the program on the athletic. It's like, Oh, this six year guy and this six year guy and this six year guy. Um, tons of experience everywhere on the roster. It's one of the reasons they took such a small, they only signed like 10 guys in their recruiting class this year because they have so many upperclassmen that wanted to stay and finish the job that they didn't get to finish last year. So um, former walk-on Thayer Thomas, who had eight touchdowns last year and a fifth-year guy and Devin Carter are looking to lead the receiving core. Um, they've got a second-year receiver in, in Porter Brooks that I think could be a strong breakout candidate. He looked really good as a true freshman last year. Um, their offense features the tight end a lot. They have Trent Penix and Chris Tootie, who could, uh, who again, a lot of experience, fun little wrinkle, uh, they have a tw- set of twins that are red shirt freshman tight ends and Fred and said Seaboro. So amazing. I hope we have a double Seaboro formation a lot of times in Raleigh, but I digress. <laughs> um, so the big guy that they're going to have to replace is obviously uh, Icky, um, who went number six in the draft this past year at left tackle. Um, they've got a guy lined up to take his place. Uh, second year transfer, Anthony uh, Bellion. He looks like he's going to take over at left tackle, and they have a ton of experience to fill in elsewhere on the line. As good as that offense sounds like it's going to be, man, their defense is probably going to be their bread and butter. They finished, uh, they had a ton of injuries last year, and guys that they expect to start this year are taking over for guys that started up to 10 games last year. Um, To the point that Dave Doran was even saying that he feels like they are returning 22 starters on defense. They have depth like crazy because so many guys filled in so well last year. The secondary, though, is going to be the strength of the team. I think maybe my dark horse for defensive player of the year at uh, in the ACC um, could be uh, could be Corey Durden. Uh, He's a, a flex lineman that could play at tackle or at a a defensive end up front. They're going to have a ton of experience in the defensive backfield though. They're starting five uh, at two safeties, two corners and a nickel 26 years of college playing experience. That is insane. Good luck. ACC quarterbacks trying to find space to throw the ball in that coverage. It's going to be amazing. They're going to, that's going to lead the way, man. I think you can make a lot of money betting the over of 8.5 for NC State. They've passed that the last couple of years. Um, They have all their talent pretty much back from last year, other than their running backs and their left tackle, which big losses. But, man, I think think the floor for these guys is nine wins this year. 
the absolute floor unless just something goes wrong or they face a lot of injuries. Nine wins. They they should be five and zero going into the trip to Clemson. They win that, uh, and that defense could carry them to the college football playoff. That's their ceiling. Um, if if uh, if te- if Virginia Tech steals one or a couple other ACC teams are better than expected, maybe you could see them dropping more than three games. But man, it's going to be an exciting year in Raleigh. And like I said, I'm all aboard that hype train now for their danger zone. They've got a tough situation. First, they've got a tough non-conference game in Texas Tech. I think Tech's going to give them all they can handle um, week three. But right after they uh, go to Clemson on week five, they go they host uh, Florida State. And again, like we talked about Florida State, that's going to be a team. They're going to circle that one as probably a must win. I think they're going to be at the point in the season where it could be teetering on the brink of disaster. And if NC State's coming off of an emotional high with the win at Clemson or an emotional just uh, low with a loss, a hard-fought loss at Clemson. That Florida State game is going to be tricky in week six. Um, they also end the season with back-to-back road games at Louisville and at rival North Carolina. Of course, North Carolina is going to be really upset about uh, how that game turned out last year. Sure. But, man, they get Wake Forest and Virginia Tech at home. Uh, their crossover games from uh, the other division are not that difficult. Uh, they, of course, have North Carolina, but um, Virginia Tech at home. And yeah, I, I it really sets up nice for a nice run for them. And our question about NC State is, are they the biggest story in college football if they go 11-1 and 12-0? I think absolutely yes. That would be just insane for a program of that caliber that doesn't have the history. Like I said, they've had one 10 win season in their entire history of a program. They go 11 and one or 12 and Oh yeah. That's the story of the season to me. Oh, they'd be the second biggest story just because Utah is going to go undefeated. And anyway, just because of that. Um, no, but I mean, that'd obviously be a great story for them. I think you nailed it with this, with the over, I think eight and a half is way too low. If I have to pick games, they're going to lose and I really want to be optimistic for the other teams. I'm looking at Clemson. I'm looking at Wake Forest. I'm looking at Louisville. I don't think they lose more than three. I think that's kind of their floor there is a three-loss option, and that clears eight and a half pretty good. So, yeah, I might have to make a trip to a sports book pretty quick to put some money on that one. I yeah. am all aboard 12-0 and 0 NC State. Uh, they will be my uh, playoff pick, I think, from the ACC, ACC champ, just – Put it in stone right now. The Wolfpack are going to make a little bit of history this season. It would be incredible to follow, man. And you just think about, I kind of hinted to it earlier, but just think about what that school's gone through the last Uh, couple of years. Like going back to Omaha where they just got completely screwed out of a title, possible title game appearance. They, of course, don't get to play in their bowl game last year after they're one of their best seasons ever. I think, didn't they get hosed in the NCAA tournament? They got left too? out of the baseball mm. field again this year. There was yeah, no doubt they, they left out of the. the yeah. yeah, they got left out of the NCAA baseball tournament this year. Like, man, you talk about exercising some demons for NC State. <laughs> I think this year could do it. Yeah, that fan base is hungry. That team uh, giving it to the playoff committee would be would be really fun to watch. Um, All right, two more programs to get through on this side of the ACC. Um, Obviously, we want to get through these relatively quickly. Syracuse is next up for me, and 
you know, hey, listen, Orange fans. Sound ready, Mitch. I have the hype train sound ready. You ready? You're not going to need it for, for the Orange. I'm rooting for you this year at Syracuse. Like I mentioned, Sean Tucker was one of the unsung heroes from last season. But um, this year, everybody going to get fired. Uh, here's why. The Orange went 5-7 and seven last year. Uh, the program continues to search for some sort of consistency. Defense was actually really good, but the offense was so bad. Um, they were leaky at best. They were downright abysmal at worst. Uh, they need to find their quarterback. Garrett Schrader was under center for most of last season, but he's one of the best runners in the country and literally one of the best or one of the worst throwers in the country. So that didn't help. Uh, Friday nights in the dome have always been a magical spot for the sport, but two things. One, they only have one Friday night game queued up right now. And two, the carrier dome has allegedly received a new sponsor which in our notes i said insert the i'll be deep in the cold cold ground meme from the simpsons um i will not be recognizing that new sponsor on this podcast it will be the carrier dome uh bottom line is this uh the cues they need some magic for dino babers and staff i don't think it's going to happen though in 2022 here's why offensively robert and i is the offensive coordinator it's babers fourth oc in seven years comes over after spending 15 years working with Bronco Mendenhall um, at Virginia. Garrett Schrader is entering year two at quarterback for the Orange, but like I mentioned, he he just wasn't very good last year. Um, he was really, really good on the ground, but the passing attack just ceased to exist, especially late in the season. Offense averaged only 372 total yards and just 25 points per game that uh, last year. That's good for 92nd in the country. Through the air, Schrader only hit on 53% of his passes, which I'm not a math guy, but that's really, really not good. That is not good. He's up near like 65. Um, So tough scene there. Justin Lamson, just as a fact of the matter, is the backup quarterback. Tommy DeVito is now gone to Illinois. He was the former starter at Syracuse. Uh, Receivers are super young. They'll be back this season. Courtney Jackson's the leading returner. He only had 37 catches last year, so they'll need bigger numbers from them. I mentioned Sean Tucker, an absolute monster. He ran for nearly 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns last year on over six yards per carry. Nine times last year, he rushed for over 100 yards in a game. They do bring in Juwan Price from New Mexico State, who's very, very talented back for the Aggies last year. So it should be a really good one-two punch. Um, up front, the offensive line experienced, and they returned four or five starters. So that's certainly going for Garrett Schrader and company. Defensively, I mentioned they were really good a season ago, but even with all that success, they only went five and seven. Uh, Tony White is the defensive coordinator. He enters his third year running the 3-3-5 for the Orange. Um, they finished second in the ACC behind only Clemson last year, which is cool, allowing just 330 yards per game. But that defensive line is leak in oil they they return only three guys to the trenches who played any sort of meaningful snaps uh they're linebackers they've got one of the best trios in the country um and they've got a really solid cornerback duo as well their safeties are, are going to be uh relatively new elijah clark transfers in from rutgers braylon oliver transfers in from louisville both of them were around for spring ball so you know if you're this if you're the orange you got to hope that there's some some chemistry that builds up there uh, moving over to floor and ceiling, the over/under by Bet Online is four and a half. And guys, I just can't get them 
to anything more than like two or three wins. Uh, I've got them yeah. probably two and ten. Their absolute ceiling would be five and seven with wins over Purdue that just doesn't have a lot of skill players. Um, a upset win over Virginia, and then the finale. Maybe they knock off Boston College if that offensive line hasn't figured things out. Maybe that's a spot where the Orange can can play some matchup games there. The floor, uh, they could go eleven and one and literally not beat an FCS team, uh, FBS team. It it could be that bad. Um, the danger zone: week seven, week eight, week nine, week ten versus NC State at Clemson versus Notre Dame at Pitt. I mean, that's zero and four if I've ever seen it. Um, not a kind move from the schedule makers right there. Yeah, if they can find a way to shock the world and win one of those three games, I think maybe that paired with a four or five win campaign saves Dino Baber's job. But guys, it's, it's looking, it's looking bleak right now. I, you know, the question that we wrote down, what constitutes a successful season for the Q's? Honestly, a successful season, I think is keeping the coaching staff together, finding a way to get four or five wins and keeping some consistency on this, especially the offensive side of the ball, where they've just been so bad over the last couple of years. I mean, Tony White can only do so much, but when that passing attack is only competing, completing passes at a 53% clip, that's not good enough to move the chain. So I, I think it's I think it's another long season for the Syracuse Orange. Yeah, I was going to say a, probably a successful season for Syracuse looks something along the lines of, you know, January 1st, 2023. There's not a whole lot of their coaches in the unemployment line. So pretty much stole the words out of my mouth there. Uh, it's it's going to be rough. This is kind of what happens is in every conference, you have teams that rise to the top, teams that go to the bottom. Even with a good defense, they weren't able to win a whole lot of games last year. That tells me their offense is abysmal. There's no signs of life. I it's going to be a tough year for Syracuse. Teams with above average defenses do tend to punch above their weight a little bit, though. So, I mean, if you're a Syracuse fan, you hope that that defense can carry you to at least a couple, maybe one or two exciting upsets. But, yeah, it, the, the outlook's not looking good. Prognosis is pretty negative. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if Dino Babers is coaching in upstate New York next year. Garrett, bring us home. Wake Forest, the final team on this side of the ACC. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were fantastic last year, came up just short, uh, and they returned 20 of 22 starters. So you're really tempted to just kind of hit retweet this year and assume that they're going to run it back and do it again. Um, All signs point to another fantastic season for Dave Clawson's crew. He does have the difficult task of keeping them focused for each game, right? That's kind of the hard thing is a lot of times you have a fantastic sort of Cinderella season, um, and then the next year you come back and it's just not there. The magic is gone. The focus isn't there, but clearly bringing that, that many players, he's going to have the ability to keep in their ear uh, and keep everyone on the same page, right? And that's what he's been talking about most this offseason. Um, when you look at this, they struggled to put away some of the better teams on their schedule last year. They beat Louisville, NC State, and Syracuse by three points each. So not massive margins uh, right there, and they're going to have to continue to improve if they want to beat the first two, especially. Um, their lowest regular season point total was 27. They averaged 41 per game, which was fourth in the FBS. That's a fantastic offense. Uh, scoring points, not the issue uh, down there in Wake Forest. So um, 
they're going to need to stop some other teams from scoring on them. They gave up 29 points per game, and that was good for 88. So not particularly good when it comes to uh, stopping the other teams. Now, hopefully some of that experience comes back and they can, you know, sort of cobble together that effort and solidify that a little better. Uh, But the big question here was last year a fluke, uh, or are they going to be able to repeat their success Uh, on offense? Where do you even start? Uh, Quarterback Sam Hartman is extremely talented. We've been talking about some good quarterbacks and Sam Hartman is absolutely in that conversation. He passed for 4,200 yards last year and 39 touchdowns through the air. Um, The completion percentage was a little low, 58%. They throw the ball a lot. Uh, And he isn't really a running threat, but he can scramble, extend plays if he has to. Not really a running threat, though. Um, He shouldn't have much reason to scramble, though, because they're bringing back every single offensive lineman. And these guys are grown. They played for a long time, have plenty of experience playing together. Uh, This might be one of the best offensive lines in college football. Uh, They did lose a running back to the transfer portal. Christian Beal goes to South Carolina. But they are bringing in a, or bringing back rather a couple guys who combine for a thousand yards and twelve touchdowns. They don't run the ball a whole bunch, uh, but they should be able to when they need to. Uh, wide receiver At Perry, one of the best in the nation. Uh, he caught seventy-two balls for twelve ninety-three yardage-wise, fifteen touchdowns. That ranked third in football. So uh, when you combine him with the talented Donovan Green coming off injury. This could be about as scary a duo as you have across football. Uh, throw in tight end Blake Whitehurst. He's a team captain this year, and that offense is stacked. It's going to take a lot to stop this offense, and there's going to be a lot of shootouts uh, for the other teams if they have any desire to stop Wake Forest this year. Uh, if you look at the defense, they have some bad stats as a defense, but it's kind of a question mark as to why. Uh, we think this is going to change uh, – because they've flipped a lot of position coaches. They brought in three new position coaches, and I think they're just trying to kind of switch up the scenery and and get something new in there to get the right ingredients. Um, We got Rondell Bothroyd led the team in tackles for loss from the D-line spot. He had 16.5 tackles for loss and seven sacks. Now, they are going to replace 10.5 sacks that they lost to the draft, um, and their leading sack guy last year had eight, so uh, that's going to be a tough one to replace. But... Um, you're also looking at having to replace a pretty thin linebacker group and they really need that defensive line to step up, right? If you are Wake Forest and you don't have any level of success, it starts on the line of scrimmage on the defense. They have to be able to get in the backfield. They have to be able to make plays. Uh, their DBs are talented. They're a young group, uh, but they should improve, right? They really struggled to knock down passes and sort of squeeze those passing lanes. They were towards the bottom and passes defended. Uh, so if they can just find ways to sort of pass off assignments, uh, and make a few fewer mistakes in coverage, uh, they should be able to keep that point total down for their opponents. Uh, this group could be very, very good. But it, again, like I said, they have to start by getting after opposing quarterbacks. If they can't, uh, then they're going to find themselves in plenty of those shootouts. Uh, and if you're Wake Forest, you'd rather win comfortably uh, and, and not have that issue. Uh, when it comes to floor and ceiling, they give us an over-under of 8.5. I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to say barely. There's a lot of really good teams in the ACC. Um, they play Louisville, NC State, and Florida State on the road. That's tough. You don't want to go to each of those places. They also don't really have like an easy stretch to let them get the kinks out. Um, if they get it rolling early, they beat the Seminoles uh, and the Tigers at the start of the season. This team could get hot and go 12-0. 
but again, if they stumble, if they don't really establish a defensive identity, you know, their opponent offense may not be able to be on the field as much. Other teams might run a little bit of ball control and they could lose five, maybe six games. I mean, it could be pretty bad if they're not able to figure out some of the mistakes on the back end. Um, another little stat that I found that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, Sam Hartman has 72 touchdowns passing so far. He is 35 away from Taj Boyd for the all-time ACC record. Uh, he's through for 39 last year. So it's certainly within the realm of possibility that he could be breaking that record uh, this year. So something interesting to watch out for Wake Forest this year. Um, when it comes to their danger zone, <laughs> uh, weeks eight and nine, they go to Louisville and they go to NC State. Uh, I don't care who you are. That's tough. That's two very good quarterbacks that could carve them up on defense. And again, if they don't establish that identity, it could be really, really rough and it could slow down Hartman and crew and they could definitely struggle to get out of that. So uh, question for Wake Forest, are the Demon Deacons able to become an established power with another nine plus one season or was that kind of it and they're going to go back to be a background team? It's interesting that- to me. Uh, it, they're kind of the anti-team of the other contenders, right? Like, they, we've, we've talked about a lot of teams that are really strong on defense. I think the reason mm-hmm. that, I mean, a team like Wake Forest could give Clemson a lot of trouble if they don't have their offense together because yep. you could look up and they've torched your defense and they're up 21 nothing before you could blink an eye. So, yep. yeah, it, that offense is scary. The defense is going to face some challenges with the, all the great quarterbacks that we've talked about in this division, but. Your offense is going to keep them in a lot of games. You look at their schedule last year, you kind of highlighted it, Garrett. They played a lot of close games, and they gave up a lot of points uh, to some of the better teams on their schedule. So it'll be interesting. I I think they have – I would take the over, but barely, like you said. I think I had them poised at 9-3 and three, um, when I was kind of penciling things out, but it'll be interesting. They they into the schedule, like you said, is really, really tough. Yep. It's a brutal close. I think they're. I think honestly, the anti team is probably the perfect way to describe it because they're just a, a, a tough nosed football team that's going to find your weakness and exploit it. I, you know, I hate to be cynical about the brand. Wake Forest brings in like the second fewest dollars when it comes to revenue from the football program. I think ahead of only Georgia Tech. Uh, I was writing Georgia Tech's preview earlier today, um, so stay tuned for that. But I, I just don't think they have the staying power. So even though they're doing some amazing things, and Coach Clawson is is you know really making some history uh, at, at Wake Forest, I don't know that they're the stay like a big time brand to to really stay. But we'll see. It, it'll be really fascinating. Obviously, with all the conference realignment, maybe there's a way for Wake Forest to you know, kind of elevate themselves. Um, we'll, we'll see. Well, gentlemen, that was fantastic. So glad we got this first preview done. Trey, the last thing really to do is as we close, go over our consensus rankings here for the ACC Atlantic. Yeah. So we're going to do this for every division or conference that we preview. Um, we'll post it on social media as well. So we can kind of start a conversation there, but basically what we did and we will do for every conference is we go through every single game for the whole season. We map out who's going to win, who's going to lose. 
and we spit out a projected standing. So I've taken all three of our projected standings and kind of uh, turned them into like a composite ranking, um, a preseason poll, if you will. So um, our order finished just on the consensus of Mitch, Garrett, and I. We have NC State coming out on top in the division. Uh, Clemson coming in second, Louisville third with the first place vote from Garrett. Um, Wake Forest coming in fourth, Florida State in fifth, and Boston College and Syracuse uh, bringing up the rear respectively. Should be really, really fun. I tell you what, uh, you know, we, we've grown up here in the South. The ACC is not necessarily our bread and butter, but that's the beauty of this podcast. We, yeah, we'll have a, you know, a Lone Star flavor to it as we want to cover you know, some of these local teams from our perspective of, you know, getting to go to games and interact with people on a one-on-one basis. But this is a national podcast at its heart, and we cannot wait to see how the ACC shakes out. Again, this is just one half of it. Stay tuned Thursday morning, 6 a.m. Central Time. Uh, we will be dropping the ACC Coastal preview as well, and we'll keep right on going. I think the Big 12 is uh is up next after that or the big 10 i'm sorry big 10 then the big 12 but uh, anyway thank you guys so much for listening uh we really do appreciate it obviously a longer episode today but it takes takes that time to to really dive in and give you guys the research that we think is helpful in uh, in what is a true preview as always head over to our social channels at three tech pod on twitter and instagram and give us a follow there as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody.